Amosi Tanar and Everlasting Father, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, majestic in all your ways, you are the omnipotent, omnipresent God, immanent and transcendent. There's none like you in heaven or on earth. You remain the unique and the true creator of all creation that you have made. Father, we are grateful this morning for the goodness that you have shown us to allow us to assemble and nothing to prevent us from doing so. We are also aware that there are your children all over the world who are in hiding as they try to do what we are doing here. We recognize this and we recognize that it is your privilege that you have given to us that we should enjoy to be called your children and to assemble. So we request that as you take care of those who are being persecuted all over the world, that you will enable us to recognize how blessed we are that we do not face those kind of situations in this country. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will continue to speak to us and especially as we begin to study this morning since we know that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request then that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3, uh, 3 through 16. Actually, it's 2 through 16, but we're going to begin in verse 3. We're still dealing with the issue of head covering. Verse 3 reads, Now, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, a woman is not independent of man, nor is a man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Now in our introduction of this section of 1 Corinthians 11 verses 2 through 16, we indicated that it is concerned with head covering in public worship in Corinth that has application to the church at large. Now apparently, the issue of covering or not covering the head in public worship must have been a concern for the Corinthians that the apostle had to take up the matter in this section 
either because someone has said something to him about it, or that somehow the apostle perceived that there was a problem with the subject in the local church in Corinth that were affecting public worship among the believers. Now, the evidence available to us shows that some men and women in the ancient pagan worship had their heads covered when they offered sacrifices to their gods as in the statue found in Corinth of the Emperor Augustus about to offer sacrifice with his head covered in the case. However, it's only the, the one offering the sacrifice that had the head covered, while the others in the sacrificial procession did not cover their head. Furthermore, evidence shows that the head was covered not only when offering a sacrifice, but also during what is called prophetic reading of the entrails. In other words, some of the things they read. Now we know, we also know that the Romans cover their heads with uh, whatever they, they had to use to cover it while they were in the presence of others, particularly social superiors, in order to acknowledge them as worthy of honor. Nonetheless, it appears that the head covering were worn in Roman uh, context to demonstrate respect and subserviency to the gods. That's why they were. Now the Corinthians were certainly aware of the use of head covering in pagan worship. Thus, it is probably the case that some in the local church would wonder if believers in Christ should follow the custom, while others wanting a clean break from anything pagan, will resist it, will be against it. So, as we have stated, we do not know the situation that existed in the local church in Corinth that was the reason for apostles' discourse about head covering in the section that we are considering. Now that aside, our passage that is concerned with the matter of head covering in public worship contains a message that is applicable to all local churches of Christ regardless of the geographical location or the time involved. Everywhere the local church of Christ exists, this applies. So, there is a message that we have here. So, it's a message based on what we have in our passage that is really this. Men should not have their head covered during prayer. And likewise, women who wear their hair the way God has given it to them, they also should not cover. But, they should cover it if they either cut or shave it. In other words, that's the whole thing that the apostle gives in this whole section. That men, when you when worship, don't cover hair. If you're a woman, likewise, as long as you wear it the way God has given it to you, then don't cover it. But if you do alter it or cut it and so on, then you cover it. Anyway, as we examine the passage before us though, that involves various arguments of the apostle, it will be clearer as to how we derive the message we believe the Holy Spirit wants us to convey to you as a believer in Christ. Now the apostle, as we indicated in our previous study, did not immediately jump into the subject of head covering, but he first praised the Corinthians for remembering his instructions to them, and as a result of which they were holding firm and practicing the instructions they received from him. 
Now, however, it seems some of the Corinthians were probably trying to practice something that he did not teach them. Now, then, does the apostle began, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, with a Greek particle that is used to connect one clause to another, either to express a contrast or simple continuation. Now it is translated and when a simple connective is desired between two clauses. When there is a perceived contrast though between two clauses, then it is translated with the word but. It may also be translated now when it is either used to link uh, narrative segments or to indicate a transition to something else. Of course, there are uh, more usages of the particle, but in our passage of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, it could be interpreted either as a marker of transition to something else, with the meaning now, or as a marker of contrast, with the meaning but. Now, a handful of our English versions use the meaning now as in the 1984 edition of the NIV, but the 2011 edition of the NIV followed now the majority of our English versions in translating the Greek particle with the word but. Now, it is most likely though that the apostle used the particle uh, not only to get attention of the Corinthians, but to indicate there was a practice that some of them were involved that was not in keeping with what he taught them, or we can even say about to teach them. They were involved in a practice. Because this is those things that you find when, we, when people move from a, uh, a background where it is taken to the Christian faith, they are wavering between whatever it used to be the custom to what you do as, as Christians. So this seems to be what we have here. And so some of them were doing something the apostles know we are taught as being what is applicable in the Christian faith. Now so this will be the case though, uh, with some of them uh, with, you, you know, with the matter of head covering that the apostle had not taught previously. has not taught them anything about it. Now of course Later in verse 17 of this same chapter, the apostle refers to the failure to practice the Lord's Supper as he taught them. So, here is the thing. Ignorance is quite often the root cause of our failures in trying to live our lives as Christians. Ignorance. In fact, As I have often stated, there is nothing more deadly in the spiritual life as ignorance. Nothing. Now because of this statement that I have made, we of course spent time in a previous study to consider the subject of ignorance. Now it's not really my intention to review the full doctrine of ignorance that we considered that the cause of its relevance in the passage of our current study, let me refresh your mind about three consequences of ignorance in the spiritual realm that we studied in the past. Just three consequences. That's all I want to mention because of what we have. First, ignorance can lead a person to become a religious fanatic. A religious fanatic. Now this is implied in the statement of Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2 
Proverbs chapter 19 verse 2 reads, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. So, ignorance and zeal can be a deadly combination. Now, an ignorant religious person is an extremely dangerous person. For you see, such a person is convinced that he is right and others are wrong. So, there is no flexibility to uh, allow such a person to recognize that it is possible that his views or his views could be wrong. Even when he thinks that the Bible supports him. Or in some of the other uh, zealots in religi- other religions, what their books, whatever religious book they use for their authority, tell them. Now because an ignorant person has zeal, that individual is convinced that he or she is right. So the individual is willing to harm others by justifying his or her action. Now this was the case with Apostle Paul prior to his salvation as he recounted later after his conversion as recorded or conveyed to us in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13. First Timothy First Timothy chapter 1 verse, two, uh, verse 13 reads, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. See, the apostle was convinced he was fighting to maintain the traditions of his fathers. Instead of the truth, really. Consequently, he had no qualms whatsoever persecuting believers in Christ. None whatsoever. So, all came because of ignorance and zeal combined. And that's why he went after Christians everywhere. Because he thought, believed that they were wrong. That they are destroying their father's faith, so to say. So that's the first thing, that ignorance with zeal is dangerous. Second, ignorance can lead to blasphemy. Blasphemy. Now when we think of blasphemy, we should not only, uh, we should think not only of reviling God or reviling God, but violation of his character. So a believer who acts in ignorance to indicate, for example, that God is not all-powerful has in fact blasphemed. Now you see, you know, people talk about blip, 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 whatever they and some people use that and talk about blasphemy. Well, we're saying it could be, but here is the thing, that one can blaspheme God by impugning on his character. So how does that work? Well, let me illustrate that. So you can understand how easy it is to fall into. When we worry, we are in effect blaspheming because we are saying to God that we have encountered a problem he is not capable of handling. See, that's blasphemy. So you have to think about it. Don't always think about reviling God. That any time you do something that puts into question his character, you are blaspheming him. So that's why I use the example worry. He told you don't worry for him, you know. He'll take care of you. And you don't believe that? And you worry. Then you are blaspheming him. Anyway, so that's the issue though. So this thinking 
of Warren in, in, in a sense is a result of ignorance of the true omnipotent God. For the, for the unbeliever, however, his blasphemy is mostly that of speaking ill of God and the things he does not understand. Now this is the reason Peter described evil men who do not understand God as being blasphemous in Second Peter chapter 2 verse 12. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 12. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 12. It reads, But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. People who know nothing about God and they talk and bless him, put him down and say, if he's this, this, why do he to do that? And all those kind of things, kind of talk is really part of blaspheming what they don't understand. So, that is the second thing that we need to understand. That ignorance can lead to blasphemy. Thought, and of course what I call the deadliest consequence of ignorance, is eternal destruction. As stated for example, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We're saying that the deadliest consequence of ignorance is eternal destruction. Here we see a slight reference to that. It is 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 8 reads, He will punish those who do not know God, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And shut out from the presence of the Lord. And from the majesty of his power. So eternal destruction comes because a person. Does not know that salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. As Apostle Peter clearly states in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 reads, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's, there's no two way about it. People can call you bigoted or whatever it is. It doesn't matter where it proudly, if that's what you call. If you state unequivocally that there's no other way any human being gets to heaven except through faith in Christ. No other way. You can be described as anything. It doesn't matter. Uh, people, you know, they, because they are ignorant, they don't know that. They think, yeah, there's other ways. There's no other way. That is a clear statement of this passage. Now, so a person who does not know then that salvation is obtained through Jesus Christ seeks to establish Right relationship or personal relations, uh, personal righteousness through works. Because the person does not know that righteousness is obtained through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, here is the thing. 
Most people on this planet want some kind of relationship with God. Most people do. But they just don't know how to go about it. Some of them think, well, if I just do good work, I pile up enough points, as they call it, I'll be in heaven. No, that's not getting you anywhere. That's the thing that needs to be clearly conveyed to people. There's not, no amount of good works you can do that will bring you to heaven. So it's out of ignorance that people think that way. But in order to obtain righteousness, the one that allows you to have eternal relationship with God, it has to come by faith. As I've in the past we have studied, that there are two kinds of righteousness. Faith righteousness, works righteousness. Works righteousness is concerned with rewarding heaven. Faith righteousness is concerned with establishing relationship with God to begin with. In other words, the one that will qualify a person to, uh, to go uh, to heaven. That was Apostle Paul could speak of those who are trying to establish right standing with God by their own works as ignorant of how to obtain God's righteousness by faith as he referenced in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Romans chapter 10 verse 3 reads, Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, because of ignorance. People are struggling, trying to establish relationship with God through their own righteousness. They don't know you can't get it that way. It's only by faith in Christ. So it is because ignorance of what Christ has done for us on the cross and a person's effort to establish relationship with God by the individual works that are really included in what is the apostle described as the darkening of a person's understanding that the apostle Paul used to Describe those who were alienated from God in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. It is they are darkened in their understanding and separated. From the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So, people who try to establish relationship with God through their own effort are in darkness. There's no doubt that ignorance has disastrous consequence of eternal separation from God. For the unbeliever. But it still has an unpleasant consequence for a believer. I mean ignorance. So, ignorance of the truth on the part of a believer leads to living a lifestyle that is incompatible with truth. As a believer lives that kind of lifestyle, the person remains outside the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the situation with many Christians. Ignorance keeps them from recognizing that they are not controlled by the Holy Spirit because of their lifestyles. In some cases, since they don't really know what uh, it really means to be filled of the Spirit. They are walking around thinking they are great Christians. Whereas they are just walking around in, in ignorance and uh, realize they are not having a, the kind of relationship with the Lord that they think they are. Now so, the, those who are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, 
reveal that they are ignorant through their lifestyle. Now this was because the concern of Apostle Peter in his epistle that he cautioned believers not to live a lifestyle of ignorance in First Peter chapter 1 verse 14. First Peter chapter 1 verse 14. First Peter chapter 1 verse 14 reads, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you live in ignorance. And I've said it many times and I keep saying it. Ignorance is very deadly. All, most of the problems we have, <laughs> actually I would say almost all our problems on this planet today, is out of ignorance. People just don't know. You know, when people are hating each other, still because of ignorance. Because there are certain facts, if they actually know, maybe they will do that. Anyway, it's not only that ignorance leads to a, lo- a, a wrong lifestyle for a believer, but it can also cause a person to live in slavery, to sin and to Satan, as it pertains to the fear of death. As the human author of Hebrews stated in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. We're saying that ignorance can cause a believer to live in fear of death. Because the person doesn't know what Christ has done about death. And so the person has a different perspective or understanding of death and so live in fear of it. Here it says, verse 4, 14 of Hebrews chapter 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You just you know for fact that fear of death causes all of us to do something something irrational. And sometimes fear of death causes us to compromise what we know to be true. Because we don't, we're afraid of dying. We don't want to die. And so, we do what we know is not correct. With the end that we just want to live. Anyway, we should recognize then that ignorance has disastrous consequences on both unbelievers and believers alike. Although the consequence on unbeliever is, as we say, out of this world because it is eternal separation. Now the review we have given reminds us that it is important not to remain ignorant regarding spiritual matters as that affects our conduct. I'm saying the way really you as you say if that's going to if ignorance affects your conduct, what are you going to do about it? Now it's one thing to be ignorant, but it's another thing not to want to be enlightened. So the way we get rid of ignorance in any area really of life, especially in the spiritual realm of life, is to receive information. That's how you dispel it. You receive as much information as you can in that area. Whatever the area is, you then dispel your ignorance. Therefore, the apostle conveyed this fact when he expressed his desire for the Corinthians 
in the first sentence of where we are studying, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. Look at that first sentence. It says, now I want you to realize. Now I want you to realize. See, the apostle had a strong desire to ensure that the Corinthians were not ignorant of the truth that would keep them from practicing something he had not communicated to them. Now, you see, many times people will say to you, now, what is the biblical reason for that? Many times the counter will be, you show me we have a biblical reason for doing it. Because there are so many things people do, they have no biblical, a biblical reason for it. So even if you counter them, they're still going to do whatever they believe they want to do. So the best argument is then come back and say, now you show me from the Bible your authority for doing what you're doing. So it goes both ways. So to say, you show them your authority and they have to show the one the, uh, reason they do what they do. So what we are saying is that the apostle had a strong desire to ensure that the Corinthians were not ignorant of the truth that would keep them from practicing what he had communicated to them. Now, we indicated that the apostle uh, had strong, a strong desire because of the word want, because he said, now I want. That word want is translated from a Greek word, thelo, thelo. That may mean to wish to have, to desire, to want. That is, to have a desire for something. As Apostle Paul used it to describe what he wanted Roman believers to do. As stated in Romans chapter 16 verse 19. Romans Romans chapter 16 verse 19. It is everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. That's what he wants from them. Now the Greek word may mean to have something in mind for, for oneself and so means to propose or to will or even to decide. Now it is with the meaning to wish that Apostle Paul used it in his question to the Galatians of desiring to be enslaved by, by what they have been free from, bondage of rituals that are meaningless. And so, he asked them a question using our Greek word in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. Galatians <coughs> Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. It is, but now that you know God, or rather, are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now the Greek word may mean to take pleasure in something in view of its being desirable. So it means to enjoy to like, of course, to take pleasure. As Apostle Paul used it to describe false individuals in Colossia that took pleasure in false humility and, of course, in the worship of angels, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Colossians 
chapter 2 verse 18 it is do not let anyone who delights that's someone who takes pleasure in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind pours him up with idle notions. Now the Greek word may also mean to have an opinion, to have an opinion, to think something to be so, that is of course to maintain something that is contrary to the true state of affairs as it is used to describe those false teachers whose opinion is described in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 5 reads, But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. See that clause, they deliberately forget. Greek literally reads this way, in maintaining this, it escapes them. Now they have been saying, well, nothing has changed in this world, everything has been the same. But it says, in maintaining this, it escapes them, that this is what happened. So in our passage of First Corinthians, 11 verse 3, the sense of the word is to feel or have desire for something or to want strongly, to want strongly. Does the apostle have a strong desire for the Corinthians to have something? Because he says, now I want you to realize, so he has a strong desire for something to take place. Now the thing the apostle strongly wants the Corinthians to have is you get the right knowledge. Now that's I mean that's the most important thing that we all need to have in our spiritual life. Knowledge. Because that's what sets us apart. That's what prevents us from all kinds of things that will displease the Lord once we have the knowledge. Now it is this possession of knowledge that is really conveyed in the sentence of 1 Corinthians 11.3 that we're studying. Say, I want you to realize. I want you to realize. Now literally, the Greek really reads, I want you to know. That's why I talk about knowledge. That's what he wants them to have is knowledge. Because literally the Greek says, I want you to know. Now the literal sentence indicates that the apostle was about to communicate a new teaching to them. A new teaching. Now we say this because when the apostle wanted to remind the Corinthians of something he had taught them in the past, he would usually use the rhetorical question that reads in the English do you not know? That's what he would normally use. Do you not know? Which means it's something he's told them in the past. So he say, do you not know? In other words, don't you remember? Now this expression, do you not know, the apostle uses six times in the sixth chapter of First Corinthians that we study. Just to keep reminding them. Don't you know that your body is this? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit is listening to you? Don't you know this? Don't you know? So, he keeps using that uh, to remind them of something that he's talking them about. But in our verse of study of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, he simply st- stated, I want you to realize, or literally, I want you to know. Now the word realize is translated from a Greek word that may mean to grasp the meaning 
of something or to comprehend. That is, to understand, recognize, come to know, to even experience. As in John chapter 16 verse 18. John 16 verse 18. John 16 verse 18. It is, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Now that sentence, we don't understand what he is saying, is literally, we do not know what he is saying. Now the Greek word, oida, may also mean to remember or to recollect. As Apostle Paul used it in dealing with the issue of water baptism in First uh, Corinthians 1 verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 16. It is, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember, that's a Greek word, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Now the Greek word may mean to know, in the sense of having information about someone or something. As Apostle Paul used the word to indicate that the Galatians, prior to their salvation, did not know the true God in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. We have looked at verse 9 of Galatians 4. Now go to verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Say, formerly, when you did, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things who by nature are not gods. So here, he refers to the fact that uh, there's something they didn't know to begin with. Now the Greek word may mean to understand or simply to learn how, as Apostle Paul used the word to convey the sense of learning how to control one's sexual desire, to avoid sexual immorality in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. 1 Thessalonians Hold on to Thessalonians because I'll pick up the next verse in next uh, passage in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4 reads, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now the sentence, each of you should learn to control his own body, of the NIV, is literally, each of you know how to possess his own vessel. That's what the Greek said. Each of you know how to possess his own vessel. Now the Greek word may mean to honor or to respect. To honor or to respect. As in the instruction of what is expected of uh, the attitude of believers in their relationship to their spiritual leaders. As stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12. He says, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. See, the verbal phrase, to respect those who work hard among you, literally the Greek simply reads, to know 
those laboring among you. Which of course does not make much sense unless it is understood either to mean to respect or to honor such individuals since believers would have known such persons were their spiritual leaders. Now the Greek word may mean to know in the sense of being uh, intimately acquainted with us to stand in close relationship to someone. So it is used to know God, not merely theoretically, to know of Him theoretically or to know of His existence, but to have a positive relationship with Him as in the claim in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Titus, Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Titus chapter 1 verse 16 reads, They claim to know God, that's theoretical really, by their action, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, the word means to know, in the sense of being aware or cognizant of a fact or specific piece of information. Thus the apostle had a strong desire for the Corinthians to have knowledge that would help them to avoid any practice that he has not taught them while he was with them or in subsequent uh, letters to them. Now the knowledge the apostle strongly wants the Corinthians to have is really what this verse 3 particularly is concerned with. This is a knowledge he wants them to have. And that knowledge will boil it down to this. He wants them to have the knowledge that there is such a thing as a concept of hierarchy both in heaven and on earth. That's what he wants them to know. To understand that there is such thing as hierarchy both in heaven and on earth. It is this that the apostle conveyed when he wrote them in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. When he, again it reads, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now that's interesting. We're going to untangle all of this. But the, this whole thing is simply saying, I want you to know there is such a thing as hierarchy. That's all it's, that's all it's saying, really. And we're going to uh, break it down. Now somebody will say, now where is the concept of hierarchy in this verse? I don't see it. Well, it is in the word head. That's where it comes from. That word head. So let us then examine the word head. Now but before I do, let me inform you that there exist really extensive writings by scholars on this word head regarding its meaning in our passage. But it is not my intention to go into the details of the various works of the scholars in this area. But I will make reference to a particular scholar at the appropriate time in our consideration of the word head as used in the Greek. The word head is translated from a, a Greek word kephale. Kephale. K-E-P-H-A-L-E. Kephale. Of course, my note is online so you can see the spelling there. Kephale. Now, that word kephale that uh, we can understand its meaning by considering its usage beginning with the Septuagint. That is again the uh, translation of the Old Testament 
into the Greek. Now where the word kephale is used with a range of meanings beside the meaning head. It is used in the sense of top, top of mountains. As in the Septuagint of Genesis chapter 8 verse 5. Genesis chapter 8 verse 5 Genesis chapter 8 verse 5 reads describing what's going on after the uh, flood said the waters continue to recede until the tenth month and on the first day of the tenth month they talked now that word top, in the Septuagint, it is the Greek word kephale, the same word for head, of the mountains became visible. Now the Greek word is used for head though in the sense of a leader, a leader, or a person who occupies a position of superiority in the community as it is also used in the Septuagint of Judges chapter 10 verse 18 Judges chapter 10 verse 18 Judges chapter 10 verse 18 reads the leaders of the people that were leaders the same Greek word on his head. The leaders of the people of Gilead say to each other, Whoever will launch the attack against the Ammonites will be the head of all those living in Gilead. Now the sentencing, the leaders of the people of Gilead say to each other, is more literally, the people, heads of Gilead, say one unto another. Now the Greek word that we are considering is used for the entire person. For the entire person. In other words, the Greek word means head refers to the entire person. That is the way it is used in First Samuel chapter 25 verse 39. For Samuel... Now this, this passage is one of those interesting passages that you just read through it and don't, if you don't think through you don't see the difference between the world in which we live in the world of the Bible time. It is for Samuel 25 verse 39 reads When David heard that Nebat was Nebel was dead he said Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nebal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servants from doing wrong and has brought Nebal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent a word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Now, that is the thing. Look at that. Then David sent what to Abigail asking her to be his wife. Now you think about it. You can see the difference between the world in which we live and their world. It doesn't mean we're right. They're better off. They're in, most cases, they in many cases they understood what we don't have any clue about. They understood that different than we do. And there are other things involved here. But just think about it. A woman just lost the husband. It hasn't been a week yet. And this man is already saying, I want to marry you. Can you think about, of course, I, I mean, I, when, I, when I say things like this, I'm not naive. I know there are people who, yeah, they do all kinds of things behind the uh, scene and they, they are already carrying on, as they say, and the husband dies. Now, nah, okay. No, I'm not talking about that. I know it does happen. But normally, where there's no such thing, going on and for a man to say oh yeah just your husband he didn't even say I'm sorry I heard about it they say okay 
But when you read these things and you really come to understand, you see how the intricacies of God works out. Now, why do I say this? Because in that same context, you know what happened? Once Abigail uh, averted uh, David's anger of coming out against the husband, she said to David, when God destroys all your enemies and you become the leader, don't forget me. <laughs> now that she didn't know what she was telling her, telling uh, David, she said, don't forget me. And David is not yet the king. And he didn't forget. So as soon as he heard that the husband was there, he went after her. He said, be my wife. And there wasn't all this nonsense people go through today. And the woman patterned. And she went. Anyway, so the point is, when you read these things, think a little bit. So you can see the difference between the world in which we live and their world. Today, oh yeah, you have to wait for X number of whatever years or months. I don't care. But that's not the point. If you understand what death means, and the people understand what it is in God's plan, and then people don't go around and do some of the things we do today uh, in the sense of maintaining whatever it is we want to maintain. Anyway, the, my concern more than anything here is, is the phrase, on his own head. On his own head. He said, neighbor's wrongdoing down on his own head. That simply means on him. So that it is clear, the guilt of Nebel's is to be on his person. Not physical here, but on his person. Now the word head, in the sense of, it is used in the, in the Septuagint, in the, in the sense of most important, especially of a stone mentioned in Psalm 118, verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. But I'm looking at clock, and we out of. We need to take a break. After that, we continue. <laughs> 